You're listening to a SPIN podcast. We're interested in investigating the interconnections between secrecy, power, and ignorance that shape our world today. Hello, here we are today with our latest podcast, um, and today we're joined by um, Professor Brian Rappert from the University of Exeter, who's a professor of science, technology, and public affairs. Um, and he's here to talk to us about his book, um, which is called Diseases of Secrecy and His Rather Unique Approach to Studying Secrets. Welcome, Brian. Welcome. So I think um, the first place to start um, is to talk about the experimental format I think you, you bring to studying secrecy, which is quite unique. Yeah, wonderful. No, th- thanks for that, and 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 thanks for thanks for having me for this this podcast. Uh, yeah, I think may- maybe just to take a step back uh, for me. So, why why does secrecy matter? I think that's an important question to ask. Um, I think one is because there's often a lot of charge around it. Um, when there's a secret, um, people often think there's there's a great deal that must be must be at stake. Maybe people are keeping things hidden from me or us or whoever it is. Why is that the the case, right? So secrecy has this kind of charge associated with it, and and with that charge, there's kind of an allure to an allure to then go find out. Okay, well, what is this? What is it that that's being kept from us? Uh, how can we kind of get below the surface and 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 kind of find out what happens? And. One of the reasons I'm I'm interested in in doing experimental formats with writing about secrets as an academic is that I think this charge and allure affects us as academics, if I can say it in that way, uh, as much as anyone else. And I think it's it's often the case that that academics take it as their goal that of kind of finding out the hidden truths, right? Moving beyond appearances, uh, making known what was previously unknown. And I'm really interested in this way then in which a lot of academic research kind of buys into a lot of the normal kind of tropes associated with revelation. And my concern is that with that, we're we're in a situation where we're in the danger of reproducing certain kind of ways of knowing. Okay, so maybe we want to offer a different kind of narrative, maybe we have a different kind of story to tell than some official story. But but the the danger is that we're yeah we're we're making a lot of the same kinds of assumptions about what's at stake with knowledge and so on. So I think it's up to those of us who are interested in let's say critical studies, critical uh, security studies, for instance, is that we we need to ask the question you know what kinds of critique are the most conventional, <laughs> you know, and and can we think about that and and can we think about doing kinds of forms of revelation that don't necessarily buy into the standard um, cultural logics associated with revelation. Okay, so so the answer, I suppose, just, just by way of background into my work, I mean, the kind of the way I would kind of a, a, approach my experiment, my experimental work with writing is, is to try to find a Try to find a way about about having a different kind of uh, engagement with revelation through my own work. I don't want to, or I, I really want to write a story of, you know, um, 
now we know, you know, the real story of what happened, you know, um, in uh, about whatever topic it was. I want to more try to bring attention to how we know what we know uh, through the work that I do. You want to get people to think about the nature of revelation itself beyond just having a revelation, right? You want to get people to think about what knowledge is yeah, as I, part of the conversation. I think I think it's incumbent on us, of, is to say, those of us who are doing work that identify with some sort of critical studies, is to is to ask how we're being critical, okay, and to maybe kind of find ways of stepping back from that. So, just uh, my turn to step back. Um, where where did your own curiosity about secrecy or or critical approaches come from? Like, what was your intellectual journey? Like, when did it start that you uh, realized that this was a project you wanted to take on, or, or that secrecy that was the subject for you? Yeah, I, I think um, I, you know when I did my PhD, my PhD wasn't about anything like this, and I th- I think a lot of my interest in secrecy came when I started to do work in in diplomatic circles, uh, particularly as it related to armed conflict. And I had a project a long time ago um, when I got my first kind of uh, lecturing post where I just basically spent a lot of time in Geneva, New York, and places like this. I was following something that was being discussed at the time, which was a, devising a code of conduct for scientists to avoid their work being misused uh, for kind of malign purposes. So biologists find out how diseases work, they publish about that, they're interested in preventing disease, but what if somebody were to take that work and then use it to spread disease, okay? So back in the early 2000s, there was a lot of discussion about this international discussion, and uh, the UK uh, was leading a lot of that work. I had a grant, I was following out those processes. But actually, having said it like that, I wasn't following them out. It, was, it wasn't quite that simple. Uh, as somebody who was doing research in the area uh, and uh, getting people together, asking questions, inputting about these, these codes of ethics that were being discussed, the, the situation developed that more and more I was being not just some, somebody that was researching something, but I was being seen as somebody who was kind of promoting codes of conduct. I became a kind of spokesperson for this, this, this kind of idea. And, and I became really interested in the ways in which um, people who were looking at the process from the outside were making a lot of attributions about me, about the people who I was working with at that time in the Foreign and Commonwealth Office and elsewhere, you know, about the motivations for what was going on. And I was just absolutely fascinated by the way in which um, the number of, of academics and others I spoke to kind of assumed there was a plan, right? <laughs> that, that there was a kind of coherent uh, set of activities that were taking place that were purposeful, that were kind of moving in a direction. And I think a lot of that was just the outcome of the kind of asymmetrical kind of knowledge that, that um, the, the situation that this was experienced. I was going around to a lot of meetings that maybe other people weren't going to. I was having lots of conversations with people. Um, and um, it just, I became very interested in that, um, this, this way in which people would kind of project and invest in, in people who they thought had kind of uh, information that others didn't have. And, uh, and, and then actually, I think my, where I really got interested in secrets was when I um, became head of uh, department um, at the university at which I worked. And there again, I kind of experienced in a very, in a very, um, 
um, let's say, consequential way. This this idea that people people project all sorts of um, competencies and all sorts of planning and strategizing onto people who who have uh, whatever kind of secret information or or information that others don't have. And I just began to see this as a kind of you know this this kind of pervasive way in which these investments are made. And I thought, well, I don't want to, <laughs> you know, my own work. I don't want to to kind of reproduce this. I wanna, I wanna think about about what's going on and in secret keeping and and revelation. So how can you find ways of kind of questioning that? So that's really interesting. So I'm and I'm hearing this for the first time. This you had this dual um, kind of revelation <laughs> or yeah. insight that in your in your personal professional sphere there was some important ideas about who had knowledge related to conceptions of power. And mm. at this at the same time or, or near to that point in time, you were also doing this work understand trying to understand diplomatic negotiations yes. and the same dynamic was happening. And yes. so, you know, it, it, I guess it was, it was so powerful that you yeah. felt you needed to, to explore it a bit more. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I think it's, you know, we're, we're talking about secrecy and revelation at three different layers for the kind of work that, that I did certainly in the past, where you're looking at issues about national security and the like, armed conflict and so on. I mean, you're talking about secrets often right uh, in in yeah in in matters of national security uh secrecy just kind of permeates the discussions in all sorts of ways but also as a as a researcher then going into those situations there was the kind of the kind of experience that i had as well of trying to to do research okay so you then have to navigate what can people tell me what can't they and you know i I would go to meetings and there would be this thing called the Chatham House Rule, for instance, it would be a vote. And, you know, people would kind of allude to this this thing, which was this very kind of seemingly very informal um, but meaningful kind of convention about what could and could not be said out of meetings. But in in my experience, at least, you know, you go to 10 different meetings and you get 10 different versions of the Chatham House Rule. Even if you go into the details of what that rule says, it's it's not clear at all. Uh, what the limits of disclosure are about what can be said in meetings, and yet no one seems to question this. But why doesn't anyone question that? So there's this whole kind of performative aspect of of doing research, and and then for me, then there's the question: Okay, well, what what do I write as a result? And okay, I can try to write a standard history that is about um, a kind of truth telling history, where I want to kind of you know, whatever, kind of put it out there, <laughs> lay it on the table in terms of uh, what I found out and, and all the rest of it. But I I started to, to be more concerned about how my own research writing was exemplifying the very dynamics that I was talking about in terms of what I was looking at in terms of statecraft. Okay, so... I did a lot of, let's say, more uh, ethnographic work. I went into places. I spoke to people. Uh, you know, I I I I, um, I traveled around a lot internationally. I just became, you know, kind of um, I came became part of the scene. And you know, anyone who who has that experience in 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 their their kind of social science work, I mean, I think I think you can't have but these. Um, these tensions about what do you say about the communities in which you're researching, because there's a lot of things that get said and, and knowledge gets exchanged and so on that 
you know people don't want kind of reproduced elsewhere. And, you know, what, are, what is it as an individual that are you going to talk about? I mean, I don't know anyone who's ever done any ethnography and, and then, you know, doesn't kind of tell stories, you know, after a couple drinks, you know, at the bar or whatever like this about, you know, things they would never talk about in their, um, in their publications. And I, I found that disconnect a bit, a bit um, concerning. And I was interested in the ways in which people have these different kinds of stories that they will tell about the work in which they did. And I thought, okay, am I just going to Am I just going to do that? I'm going to have this kind of front and backstage performance to 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 what I say and and, and speak with other people, or or is there a kind of another way into this? And what I've been experimenting around in my own writing is is trying to find these kind of alternative approaches, and uh, and I suppose just to be um, kind of very simple about it, it's. In my in a, in my experimental writing, I've tried to find ways of making what's absent from my accounts kind of present within them. <laughs> okay, so so even if there's things I don't want to talk about, how can I make the the not talking about them uh, explicit? Okay, so I want the I want the the boundaries of the analysis to to be part of kind of what I'm offering, and I want to try to find uh, playful ways of at least gesturing towards or hinting towards what's kind of off the page, I can say. say in and so what, what, what sort of mechanisms or, or strategies have you found as ways to do that? Yeah, so, um, yeah, I can, I can just give you some instances of that. I mean, one of the, the things that I've done in terms of my own writing is, um, well, my, my experience of doing research in the areas that I, I've worked in is that uh, I, you know, perhaps like yourself, you know, have have come across a lot of redacted documents. You get the the nice, uh, the black marker taken through um, text and so on. And uh, you know, there's something very powerful about about looking at those kinds of documents and this this like what lies underneath, you know, and this this evoking that happens of like, oh my gosh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe the real gems are kind of somehow kind of buried <laughs> buried there. So anyway, what, what I did in my own writing um, would be, um, uh, like in my book, uh, I've got a book called Experimental Secrets, where I basically, for a number of chapters there, I basically wrote out the chapters about what I would want to say, okay, and then I uh, kind of, well, I did, I, I blacked out my own text about what I couldn't say, which, which I thought was actually a lot more kind of honest, if I can say it in that way, than a lot of more uh, usual academic strategies, which is to say you just bury away beyond uh, recognition for the reader that there are things that you're not talking about. Um, so however might we might kind of, you know, uh, poke fun at, uh, at uh, governments and their redaction of information, you know, in some ways, <laughs> that is a, is a step that a lot of academics wouldn't take in terms of their own um, the accounting they do of their experiences of the field where where there are just some bits that are just completely left off and and yeah you end up going to conferences and speaking to people and having a couple beers and then you you know you get a you get a kind of different story um, but anyway so I wrote I wrote I mean that's just one instance um, in in my writing I've used um, I've used a lot of glosses so um, if I'm not able to talk about what happened in a meeting, I can still talk about what people uh, thought about when they left the meeting. You know, so I do these kinds of post 
post-event kind of discussions where we can't actually, you know, kind of be be specific, but we kind of do upshotty accounts of of what we what we think happened. Um, I've got a lot of writing where I I recount what happened, but I don't recount where it happened or who was speaking, just to give this sense of the. Well, I'd have I, especially when I was doing my work about the diplomatic circles, you know, I'd have so many of these meetings where I'd walk into a room and you're not really sure who you're speaking to, and you know, there's canapes going around and and maybe some wine and this sort of thing, and you're kind of moving in in the audience and and you hear these kind of conversations from everywhere, and and I've got kind of forms of writing where I try to reproduce this sense of. You don't know exactly who's talking. <laughs> you can't quite make out the context necessarily, but but you, there's all these things that are being spoken about, which which give you this sense of the the possibilities for these situations. Um, yeah, and I and I've tried to write a lot with practitioners. I've, uh, uh, you know, I've I've done um, forms of um, writing where. You know, the person I'm speaking to is not named, or there's, you know, there's, they're, they're, you know, a another or something like this. And so you're trying to figure out, I'm having this conversation, we're talking about something, but you don't quite know who I'm speaking to because these people have found it easier not to be named and they can speak much more fully when they're not named. Um, and yet, if you were in these communities, you would know who this individual is. <laughs> And this is all part of the kind of playfulness of, of Revelation 2 because it's not necessarily not being able to be identified. It's not being able to be um, kind of named in a, in a kind of, in, in a, I don't know, some, some sort of official way, right? So um, people may know who, who you are, but as long as they can't kind of say definitively. Okay, so, that, so I try to find what are the different kinds of levels of protection people are interested in terms of their own situation, what can I can or not say? Blank something out about about the situation in question, and just um, use that as a as a as a basis then for being able to talk about things which I may not otherwise be able to talk about. And then reflecting on those practices themselves. Oh yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So thinking yeah. not only about doing it, but then thinking about how that's how that shapes or informs our understanding of of, of the things that you're you're trying to explore. Um, so how does this then relate to Project Coast? Yeah, so a bit as a bit of background. So um, Project Coast was the code name for the chemical and biological weapons program uh, that was uh, initiated towards the end of the uh, apartheid um, uh, whatever regime uh, in uh, in South Africa. So uh, Project Coast is very interesting. Officially, to this day, the South African government has never acknowledged that it had an offensive biological weapons. Um, bio- chemical and biological weapons program, okay, and yet, okay, and yet, um, Project Coast was also subject to um, pretty considerable investigations as part of the truth and reconciliation work that happened in the kind of mid to late 1990s. Um, the person that I've done my work with on Project Coast, Chandra Gould, she in fact wrote two books about it. <laughs> it's it's a it's a program that's received considerable attention in the South African media. So it's, the, if you like, the key individual that's associated with that, the director of the program. I don't, I don't know if he's still a household name today in South Africa, but, but he would be widely known. Okay? So it's a kind of curious program that's, yeah, um, it's 
its offensive capabilities, let's say, are still officially denied, and yet it's been extensively discussed as well. So I'm kind of, I, I was interested in the way you've, you've had these, these investigations into, into Project Coast and trying to find out what it was about. Um, but each of these um, approaches has been delimited, if you like, by the very terms which have enabled it. So all these investigations, like the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, they, they had you know, only certain kinds of um, issues they could look at. They had a very limited time frame. I mean, there were so many um, practicalities that impacted on what they did. So you get a kind of revelation, but with that comes a concealment. You get a kind of remembering, but with that remembering comes forgetting. Um, you've got a mix about what these investigations for. Are they about setting some history of the past? Are they about enabling some future transition for uh, South Africa and, and beyond in terms of moving ahead? And so I'm, I'm interested in this kind of negotiation of this, let's say, transgressive act. Okay, and and how histories have been told about it, but, but how histories could be told about it. And so did that project also elicit an, an innovative format, or were there new ways that you found to think about that project, new, uh, new metaphors or new ways of generating a th that, that critical thought that you want to generate about not necessarily the information that's being hidden, but, but by yeah. those practices of, of hiding? Yeah, so um, the my, my my colleague that I mentioned, Chandra Gould, she was the she was the investigator for the TRC into Project Coast. She is, I, I think it's fair to say, you know, she is the the person in the world uh, who has done the most to find out about it. Uh, yeah, she's she's written um, what is basically a couple books about it, tons of articles, all the rest of it. You know, she. She became dissatisfied about a lot of the histories that she she herself and others had written, because I think the 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 emphasis with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission work was, you know, if we can tell the past, we can move on as a country in terms of our future. And her kind of kernel of disillusionment came in about this this relationship between history and telling the his history of the past and and moving on and what we you know we we collaborated on various um, projects in the past and and we got discussing this idea of what can we can we kind of write a history that 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 doesn't that doesn't just specify a kind of what happened but that enables to people to put together a sense of the past which then maybe gives them a, a stronger sense into then trying to relate that past to to what the future should be or the present should be and and how to think about what needs to happen in terms of political reform in South Africa and so on. Anyway, so um, we we wrote this book, uh, Diseases of Secrecy, and the way the book is written is it's almost like a kind of choose-your-own-adventure novel. So there's all these kind of strands. Uh, there's a strand associated with victims or international relations. You, you know, whatever. You go to page one. You kind of follow out um, one of these strands. It takes you to page 50. You read a couple entries. It takes you to page 126. And then that takes you back to page five. And, and so you can... 
you can follow out through um, through the book various threads. Um, now you can just read the book from back to front as well if you want, but we provided these kinds of threads of reading, and the kind of interesting thing about these threads too is that they 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 intersect. They're not just kind of separate tracks that are laid down. Um, in some of our accounts, some of these threads, you get, let's say, one meaning of, of events, but in another uh, thread, because you read the entries in a different way, we think a different kind of meaning comes out. There's a certain openness to it. There's a certain demand on the reader to be active, to kind of be aware that they're getting a very kind of selective recounting of the history and that they're piecing it together because, you know, that's, that is the situation we found ourselves in as researchers, right? There's no, there's no easy map about how to, 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 to write about the past. We're, we're going around, um, you know, at most you could say we're kind of picking up little pieces here if we want to be kind of very, you know, kind of simple. We're picking up lots of pieces, but how do you put them together into some jigsaw puzzle is, um, you know, it's not all clear. There's no, there's no map for doing that. So we have to kind of find our own way. So, you know, the, the book isn't just, you know, you don't just step into an open field or, or, uh, you know, look at the sky on a clear night and there's no, you know, there's no structure to it. We, we do provide a structure, but there's a lot of ways in which, you know, we just don't know which story to tell. So we enable these different ways of telling. Uh, that's part of the, the format. And um, maybe I'll just, I, I've just got here a little, a little quote from the preface um, where we talk about what we wanted to do. So maybe, can I just, can I just read that? Go for and it, yeah. uh, I think it just gives you a kind of spirit of what the book was about. So, so we say, um, okay, we wrote, we wrote with absences and secrecy to alert readers to the processes of producing knowledge of the past through an argument in which what was missing was intended to be as much a feature of what was given, we sought to encourage readers to partake in a process of investigation with the lures, dissatisfactions, and effects that that can entail. It's between the traces and fragmentations of our accounts that we hoped readers would be able to question, sorry, would be able to ask questions of themselves and others about the purposes of history and the potential of memory. In doing so, we hope to engender sensitivities with the investments in, te in the telling of history. Okay, so, yeah, for, you know, for me, um, you know, I, I think I'm really enthusiastic about the format of this book because I think even just the physical process of reading it, this kind of moving between the pages, right, and, and, and having to kind of go back and forth and 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 being aware that you're just skipping over lots of stuff and 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 that you know that <laughs> there's kind of there's other stories going on here and um i mean i just that yeah that that is um the phenomenology involved like it, it's a yeah. it's a way it's a physical way of of knowing and and it's connecting yeah. those two that it, knowledge it's is a, it, it's an embodied process and yeah. and our investigation was an embodied process and and we try in the book as well to talk about you know our are trying to get access to individuals, the reactions we had afterwards to speaking some of the people involved in this program, you know, who, after all this time, after they had been brought back into the community, 
of respectable people, if I can say in the in that way, because you know a lot of the scientists, for instance, I mean they didn't face sanction about what they they did as part of Project Coast. Um, in fact, there's only one person that's really been sanctioned from it, and and even that sanction itself is you know we, we talk about that more. But but in any case, um, these people have been ba- been brought back into the fold. Um, but um, you know, Chandra and I just had to. At, at some stage, we just we, we we decided we just couldn't interview any more of the scientists because we just thought a lot. You know, so, some of them were just still racist, and it was uh, you know it was physically uncomfortable for Chandra um, to to do this work. Mm-hmm. She just you know, it was just really difficult, and you know, so we want to bring in that that unease you know about the investigations and about how we went about the work. We had lots of aspirations for what we wanted to do. You know, some of those were fulfilled um, in terms of the, the 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 research that we were able to to undertake, and some of those weren't. And and it's that those discomforts, those diseases um, that we want to bring in. Um, Chandra talks a lot about her own personal reflections. As I say, you know, she's she's been as much associated with the investigation of Project Coast as anyone, and. Um, you know, it's a, it's it's been a big part of her life, and so the choices she's made, and um, you know, these are things we we wanted to bring into the book, um, because in a sense, you can't tell the, the history of Project Coast without talking about the history of Chandra, um, because she 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 brought it to life uh, with other people. I'm not saying she was the only one, but she she's definitely been the one most associated with with the work into this program. So, so yeah, we we wrote an account that that gave that sense of the experience of 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 trying to after all these years still speak to people about this project which which you know it's it just so interesting for us because you get you often get two kinds of reactions when we'd go around to let's say government officials and say okay well you know the first reaction would be why do you want to talk about that that's in the past we've moved on you know Let's you know just 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 put put that aside and you know we're we're embracing a new future. The other would be, oh, we can't talk about that. It's so controversial. <laughs> now, what's particularly interesting is that you know in some of our interviews we'd have people you know using both those kinds of ways of talking about the project you know within the same space, almost kind of within the same breath. I mean, well, maybe it's a good point to talk about that they're, they're manufacturing an ignorance they're in, in those two ways. They're trying to keep something out of a public conversation, and um, yeah. which speaks to another thread of your research, which is relevant to this conversation, the, the, the manufacturing of ignorance. Yeah, but it's also manufacturing of stakes as well, because, mm-hmm. I mean, is this something worth talking about? No. It's the past. Let it go. But it's so controversial. Why are you bringing this up? I mean, it's just, you're just, so, you know, I I don't want to say which is it because it's more complicated than that. But, but uh, these two, these two sets of discourses are not mutually opposed. In fact, you know, for, for, especially for, for the government officials that we were speaking with, the civil servants and the rest, I mean, they, they came together in really, you know, quite powerful ways and ways that, you know, affected affected me you know i mean i you know you could, could feel the emotion i mean there there's these 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 aspects of the research so yeah so um just very briefly then as we uh, bring uh, this uh, podcast to a close um are you able to say anything about the project that you're working on now 
<laughs> well, I've got I've got some different projects now, uh, but almost as a form of therapy because I've uh, I was researching issues about secrecy and conflict and security and so on for quite a number of years. I thought, okay, I gotta I gotta take this into a way that's a little bit more uh, kind of nurturing, <laughs> self nurturing, or something like this, uh, but still playful and still kind of edgy. Yeah. So, so my my current research now, um, a lot of it focuses on learning magic. Okay, so entertainment magic. Uh, so I've uh, spent uh, a lot of time uh, in the last year and a half. Uh, practicing uh, practicing card tricks, uh, learning to perform magic, and this play of concealment and um, and revelation that's part of that. And yeah, so, sorry. Th- and that so yes, and so I think what we're going to do is we're just going to have to have you back. I think we're going to have to have you back to talk about magic and just have a session where we uh, we talk about why magic is so important to thinking through secrecy. So I will um, thank Brian for uh, joining us today, and um, I look forward to talking to you again. No, wonderful to be here. Thanks for this uh, opportunity. You've been listening to a SPIN podcast. For more episodes, please check out our website, secrecyresearch.com, or find us on iTunes.